Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Franchising is always a very hot topic in the pet industry, and whether it's the right move for you, whether to start one or to go into a franchising opportunity. So today we're really excited to have Carmen Chavez de Jese on to talk about what it's like to franchise a pet sitting business. As the owner of Slinky Cat at Home, she cares for cats alongside with her daughter. And she also has a lot to share about what it's like leading and leaving a legacy business. So let's get started. Well, I'm so happy to be here, Colin. Thank you very much. And hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Carmen Chavez de Jesse, uh, the owner of Slinky Cat at Home. Uh, We're a cat-centric pet sitting service located in the North County coastal areas of San Diego. And for the past two years, we've been providing peace of mind to every kitty in our care and recognize that that's a really big responsibility and one that we want to make a positive experience for not just our cats, but the humans that love them as well. How did you get started two years ago? So I've, you know, I've worked a lot in the pet space, um, a lot through franchising, doggy daycare, grooming, retail, but I've always had a preference for felines. And so Knowing what I do about the pet industry, I was really gravitating towards a cat niche, cat-centric business, uh, because I know the the financial numbers in the pet industry, according to, you know, the American Pet Products Association, we're nearing $80 billion in this industry. And, you know, pet sitting and pet services is one of the fastest growing sectors for the last several years. So I knew that uh, I could try to make something happen. That was really the first reason. The second reason, like many business owners, I had an enormous pain point of trying to find loving cat care to meet my needs as a cat owner when we traveled uh, to Peru to see family for sometimes 30 days or longer. So I have two kitties, one that would eat plastic and she could never stay home alone. She was a social eater. And then I have another kitty who lost five pounds in two weeks at a boarding facility that really didn't have a clue. So I see myself as both of my potential clients. Slinky Cat at Home provides drop-in kitty care service in other people's homes. But eventually we do want to grow into a a cat hotel and perhaps a potential franchise. Now, how did those experiences that you had with your two cats influence how you run and operate your business? It was everything to me because the first boarding experience I had for Princess is a really cute little cat hotel in someone's home here. And he's very eclectic. He has a really cool catio, a cat cheat. cat tree that's roped and bird TV going on and everything's red and black. And it's just a really great environment for the cats. And he would communicate to us and tell us funny stories. Like he should write a book, like princess is a fine dame, but she's here with her boyfriend Casanova today. And it just was a really feel good feeling. And she thrived in that environment. Mm-hmm. A couple years later, when we took her to a different boarding uh, place, I was like, is she, how's she been? And I didn't get any kind of communication like that. They told me she wasn't spilling her water. And then when I went back, they said, oh, she's the messiest cat we've ever had. And I was like, I don't want to hear that, you know. And then with Waffles, when he lost weight, they actually gave me back the wrong food. Mm. And so I was just like, we can do this better. And coming from a background, you know, in animal behavior and as a trainer 
um, years ago, I just felt really in tune to cats. And I had a cat for 19 years that was my everything that I took to Peru with me. And I remember coming home and just putting our heads together and go, let's think about our day or let's talk about this. And so cats have a very different relationship with people. It's very different than dogs. It just just is in different ways. But I just felt that we could really bring some of what I needed to our clients' experience. Because I don't believe cats hide or fearful. I believe they go to their safe spot and they just need, we need to earn their trust. And that's what we focus on when I say peace of mind. If, if the kitties have peace of mind, then I, I will have peace of mind as an owner. My clients will have peace of mind if they know that their cats are not stressed. Yeah, being on both sides of that coin, right? You're able to experience and know, okay, I had this experience. How do I make sure either that that doesn't happen for my clients or how do I make it so that I can do that same thing? Like it really does give you a great perspective whenever you've experienced both of those things. It does. It does. And, and I, and I think we're doing a good job of doing that. I really do believe that we're doing a good job and, um, you know, I love our clients and I, I love, I had an exercise recently to picture my ideal clients and, it was every cat coming in, not the owners. <laughs> and I, was like, I was laughing, but when you really went in deeper and looked at it, our yeah. ideal cats were our ideal clients. Um, and they shared the same values and the same love of cats that, that we do. And um, it's not to say we don't ever have an occasional dog, sure. a sleepy doggy, because we all know puppies can rule. But, you know, and we, we speak dog, too. But, you know, between myself and the team that I'm building, we really are uh, cat fanatics. Yeah. Walk us through that process of, of defining your, your ideal client. Because I love that idea. And I don't think many business owners do that enough. So what, what was the impetus yeah. for that? And what did that look like? So our, our ideal clients, so when I started this business, and again, I come from, you know, franchising background that we'll talk about, but when I started this business, the business models that I like have tremendous value, but they're almost like industry changers and shifters. So it was important to me to not, to have like a flat fee service is what I originally wanted. So for up to two kitties, it was just one fee and my fee is higher than others in in my area. Um, but why I bring that in is because for me, our ideal clients have money. They're invested in their animals. Um, we don't discount our second, third or fourth or fifth visits. We are a flat fee for the amount of time that we're there. Um, and we're very specific on, on the value that we're going to bring during that time. And I think our ideal clients appreciate that. And so obviously their money's not an issue (laughs) for them. (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, their, their cats are, are there everything in many cases, in many cases that I have houses where you'd want to live as a cat for sure. <laughs> I mean, every corner I have one, even my team member, I think she has 13 cat trees now. And hmm. um, we have cat rooms set up. We have cat wheels. We have, it's a very different, it's a different <laughs> client. And so yeah. these, these kitties, they're thriving. They're yeah. absolutely thriving. And then our job is to come in and make sure they stay at peace and be enriched and get plenty of activity uh, while we're there. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that idea of going, okay, like how can I communicate my services to my ideal client? Well, one of those, as you did, was through pricing. Like that is a great way to communicate 
uh, it to that. And you already know, like, I want people who are absolutely positively head over heels in love and passionate for their cats. Because uh, yeah. you know that they're going to be the best ones that you want to work for. Yes, exactly. And they are. And we all know that. I mean, <laughs> I've only ever had anybody kind of challenge our pricing maybe twice and once recently. But she also interviewed five other pet sitters. So, you know, she w- was just not going to be an ideal fit. And it's okay to to recognize that and acknowledge that. And I truly believe, and I know most of the other pet sitters. I love to network with everybody in our community. Um, and I don't look at it as any sort of a competition or anything. There are enough animals to go around. There are, there just are. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a pet sitter for everybody. And if I'm not the right one for them, you know, that's fine too. Yeah. That's good to keep in mind. Now I know, um, you also work with your daughter in your business. So what's that like? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked this because, I, my daughter's name is Marina. She goes by Mimi. And, you know, my vision when we launched Slinky Cat at Home was to create a legacy business for her. And whether or not she works in it years down the road, this is my chance to create a legacy business for her. I envisioned her and her friends, you know, supporting me as they're growing older and before they go to college. Um, She's 14 now, and I'm fortunate that she still wants to uh, work with me. (laughs) Um, She's loved by all of our human clients and adored by the cats. And she's often considered a cat whisperer. Um, over the past really three years, when we first started Moonlight Cat Sitting, um, before I formed the business, she's learned so much about fostering cats. I volunteer at our local uh, NICU or kitten nursery, so she knows all those stories, um, studying cat behavior, observing the cat personalities, all of it she's been a part of, as well as learning how to start and grow a business. And she's gotten a lot of that through my consulting too, but that's really, really fun to see. And we actually do an annual trip every year for the last four years to CatCon, which is like Comic-Con for cat people. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's really cool. I I love hearing how you're getting her involved and that idea of of a legacy business, something that's going to outlive yourself and to be able to work on that now with your daughter and yes. to give to her moving forward. Like that's just a, a, a wonderful idea. And I think that's, and we'll talk about it in franchising, but you know, it's really, we all want to grow and get our businesses to the point where they can run without us sort of thing. And, you know, and, and that's what I mean because, you know, her passion might be in fashion design. I already know it's in a creative space um, and it might not always be cats, but for the last, you know, well, all of her life that we've had cats, but for the last, you know, four to five years, it's been all about the businesses that I've been working in, the doggy daycare, the grooming, the um, my our own business with kitties and fostering, because fostering was just one step closer to reaching our goal and really getting to learn about, you know, cats and, and nurturing the next generation of cats. We really want to be a part of that. Yeah, it sounds like this idea of a legacy business is a lot more than just the the physical business that you have, but the ideas, the concepts, the experiences that you take from being involved in it and passing it on to others. Yeah, and you have to have a passion for it. We all know that. They say, you know, it's not like, you know, you're working if you're really in love with what you're doing, um, but you have to... Be, I'm an operations person at heart, so franchising is very much about systems and operations. And so I try to, my, my motto is discipline systems breed freedom. Mm. 
And so I, I really try to structure things like that so that at some point it, it can run on its own. But I do have to say, a lot of pet sitters can relate to this. I am happiest when I'm sitting next to that cat. I love every single one of them. I love looking at what they're doing, trying to anticipate it. So I I, I need to capture my own self in that when I start to, to duplicate what I do in that space and how I'm going to stay connected to the cats that I love. Yeah, because that's what most of us get in the business for, is yeah. to have those connections, have those moments. And it is, it's really like, as, as stressful as many days can be when you're just being with the animals, it's really therapeutic a lot of the time of just being able to sit so and enjoy their company and know that you are you are um, helping them. Yeah. I actually blogged. I did a mindfulness blog, what what we can learn about mindfulness from our cats. Huh. Uh, because there's just there's so much there um, when you really get in tune with them. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not a crazy cat lady. Okay. Nobody said it. Nobody said I'm it. I'm not. No, my, actually, one of our Instagrams is catlady.notcrazy. <laughs> um, but that could go a whole different way. That could be a whole nother business. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, the, the, thinking about these characteristics and um, what you look for in yourself and what you're training your daughter on and the people on your team, what would you say makes an awesome cat sitter? Yeah, so I'm sure it's that it, I mean, must love cats, but they must love the humans that love cats. And I don't know how it is in the dog world of pet sitting. I'm sure there's some people that give quite a few instructions. I mean, we have clients that provide us with, you know, 15 pages of instructions and, and maybe only two were related to the home, but um, you know, cats are special diets, supplements, nutrients, a lot of the in-home kitty care our older kitties. Um, and so, you know, we really have to have somebody that can pay attention to detail. Um, and for me, uh, you know, I have learned that the softer you can speak to kitties, the better they respond. Mm. And they, it's a, it's a peaceful nature. And I'm a huge proponent of, of the fear-free philosophy and mindset in pet sitting in general, but the pet sitters that I will, cat sitters that I'll look to hire have to also share these values with me. It's a different, it's, it is a different space. Uh, I know for, for some, when, when we are taking care of dogs, sometimes you get the owners who do, they, they break out the pamphlet, right? They break out the three ring binder and they go, here yeah. you go. I love those clients. Uh, we also get the clients who drop off their dogs and it's just a simple, like, uh, feed them about this much and they use their fingers, yeah, you know, to, exactly. to give you a measurement and they walk away and you're like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a different space. And and I've even noticed an increase nationally about people moving into cat sitting and cat care specifically. So w- why is there a need or talk about that change in the, in the need for, for cat sitters? Yeah. Well, you know, obviously because cats are going to dominate the world soon, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm right. Right. And um, if that's not the reason, then maybe all of our dog lovers should cover their ears, but um, especially the pet sitters, but they're truthfully, there are more cats than dogs in U.S. households. And this is a stat from the American Pet Products Association. And and I think it's a lot of reasons because, um, you know, most households that have cats might have more than one cat. Um, you know, I don't see, I did get a call from one person that had eight cats, but that's extreme. I mean, I would think most of my clients have between two to three cats. Mm. Um, and 
so I think there's a difference awareness coming up about cats in general. Um, I was also looking at the number of cats entering San Diego market. We're a warmer climate. climate. Our San Diego Humane Society Kitten Nursery takes care of about 3,500 kittens under the age of four weeks old every kitten season. And then that's not even counting the ones that are trapped and come into the fostering realm um, or our cat cafes that are adopting out hundreds of cats, especially during COVID. So there's a lot of cats entering the San Diego market at Mm -hmm. this time. And if you look at some of your local shelters, you might be surprised to see that the adoption rates um, when they put out their stats are actually higher for cats than dogs. So it's it's the right time to get into the cat industry. And lots of people say there's riches and niches and I'm, you know, kind of banking on that. But I also, like I said, this is a passion business for me. Um, but then there's miss conceptions we talked about the stigma of the cat lady crazy cat lady and there's actually a national holiday to try to remove that stigma um and the cat ladies and the cat daddies who are super popular out there right now want to kind of change it people perceive cats as being aloof independent self-sufficient but in reality they are creatures of habit and routine and when you're not there everything goes haywire Mm. and we used to offer overnights i don't want to do them anymore because the cats were freaking out they look at us and they go well you're not our nighttime routine what the heck are you doing here in my space and we had one kitty that ran on the wheel the whole night and Mm. i was like she was just trying to get she was stressed so we'll go four or five times a day if our clients need us to. Um, But I don't really think that we need to be there overnight. And like I said, people say, you'll never see our kitty. She'll hide. Well, we have to see your kitty. We need eyes on your kitty at every visit. And it's not, she's not hiding. She's in her safe place. That's where she feels the most safe. So Hmm. we tend to shelter in place and we get great results by doing that. But again, we're trying to help support a changing perception about cats. My waffles rides in a shark stroller, a toddler stroller. I take him every, he goes to the beach for sunset. He cruises Michaels and Petco all the time. We get kicked out of Vons, but he's just a really cool cat that is portable. And we've had cats on leashes at the park before. And I think that we're going to start seeing more of that as people start to recognize that they're not only they have a lot of catitude, don't get me wrong. And they do like their sleep time and things like that, but they're highly trainable mm. and they need to be actively engaged mentally, which is the term of enrichment. And you'll see more puzzle feeders coming on the market and things, things like that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I, I, I like that. It's two things that you said there. It's just a, there's just more of them and B it sounds like owners are becoming increasingly aware that they are, are that their cats have more needs that need to be met than are currently doing yeah. that. And they're turning and trying to take care of them more and in, in a, in a better way. Yes. And they live a long time. My Himalayan was 19. Mm. And yeah. you know, it's sad this year. I'll have to do it in memoriam because of our cats that have transitioned. But that's a long time. And again, I'm not trying to compare the dog versus cat relationship because they're both beautiful. They represent unconditional love and fulfillment and joy and everything good in this world, right? And but cats live for 19 years. So when the cat passes, as does a dog, there's a huge break in routine for that person. And um, and it's pretty tough. 
Have you heard about Time to Pet? Chris Ann from Raining Cats and Dogs has this to say. Becoming a Time to Pet client has been a game changer for us. We can give our pet services clients real-time, cloud-based information they never imagined they'd be interested in. And most importantly, to me personally, I can better manage my company and look forward to more. And not a small thing, Time to Pet is responsive to my request for new features and modifications to existing ones. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of Pet Sitter Confessional get 50% off their first three months when they sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. You've mentioned COVID a couple times, so I did want to didn't touch on that. Um, how how has COVID been for you during? <laughs> during oh this? my goodness, the things we've learned. Um, <laughs> what we're grateful for, um, you know, like like every pet sitter, you know, I saw down the pipeline early March. We had a national product expo in Disneyland of eighty thousand attendees from all over the world. And we had clients going to that expo and it was canceled two days before the event. And so we started taking cancellations early and I knew we were in trouble. And then I was like, so really pet sitters, we ought to be classified in the travel industry, not the pet industry. (laughs) And like everybody else, it was kind of this frenetic anxiety to pivot. And we did walk, uh, we do have some dog walking, but we did walk some dogs of first responders and tried to do concierge and support our local retirement communities and things like that. Um, But it was minimal. It was minimal. And then my full-time job became uh, trying to become a quick learner on the PPEP, all the financial support for small businesses and solopreneurs and the EIDL SBA loans. And I hired an HR consultant for my two employees because thankfully I became an employer of November last year. And so I did reduced hours for my employees, but they were able to get support because I had made that step to become an employer. Um, And then the EIDL, I didn't get any support for my business financially until July. Um, My first one was a $250 grant from a local founding company. And I was elated. I was like, yes, marketing a postcard. (laughs) I was so excited for that $250. And then I did get an idea loan late, uh, late July that I have not spent. I'm sitting on it because I don't know what the next few months will hold. Um, but those are opportunities that I'm grateful for because as a small business owner, we would have never had the opportunity to have access to some of these funds and financial uh, relief, no matter how big or how small. Mm. And so I'm very grateful for that. And then lastly, you know, we started coming back a little bit. Memorial Day, July ended up being bigger than last year, uh, which I was shocked. But it's really a subset of clients who are traveling locally. They go to their boat, you know, on weekend trips. Um, and they've really kept us going. But in July, I felt for a thousand reasons gratitude that my business was validated and that we were going to pounce back just fine. Yeah, you talk about having to come an immediate expert on the alphabet soup of help or whatever it was. It was a it was a scary it was really scary and unsure, but you know, you 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 went through it and now like 
if if you dug into numbers and you really understood the business, it's like that's an awesome footing to be on moving forward. It's a great footage, and I look at it even you know, did I really need the loan? Maybe not, but how else can you build credit worthiness with the SBA? You know, and same with the founders first that gave me the two hundred fifty dollars grant. They're people that could I can pitch you know, our future franchise opportunity to them. And, um, and, and, and that feels great. And actually the founders first was really looking for moms and daughters and entrepreneurship. Wow. Yeah, and it was wow, called, that's awesome. ironically called the kitty fund. <laughs> so that might've helped a little bit. It's like, I, I'm seeing all these stars aligning. Yeah, right? <laughs> but you know, I, I did, I do have to say that for me, you know, it was really important that my clients knew that we were going to follow all the CDC guidelines, that we were here to support them. And most importantly, we were going to remain flexible to meet their travel needs in the uncertain times. And we waived all of our cancellation early return fees through the end of the year. Um, and I'm usually really flexible on that kind of stuff anyways. I'm not going to get hung up on it, but things happen. People plans change and they have changed a lot. And I only had one situation where I had to refuse to see a client when they came back from Brazil. Um, unfortunately, his mother was sick and she passed and they, we specialize in long-term kitty care too. And this was a long-term client. We had the kitties for more than a few months and, um, you know, and that, that was kind of hard. His kitty had a new diet. And so I just, I videoed my whole process for him, but I had to make sure that I'm keeping my family safe as well. And um, so we just follow all the protocols, but in the end, I, I think we're all going to be just fine. Yeah. So what, what, how is business right now and what does it look like moving forward? So again, my long-term clients really helped my business. I, we dropped in September, like most Septembers, um, October shaping up pretty well. Um, I have Thanksgiving coming in, but I'm really unsure. And I think the whole country is unsure and uncertain. And until we get through the election and California is on, you know, potential lockdown today, actually, again. So it's, we're all trying to juggle it. We're trying to juggle the homeschooling, distance learning and all of that. So I, I think the only thing any of us can do is to remain flexible and to acknowledge that difficult situations that might come up, whether it's us or our clients, is just all part of this exterior world that we're in right now. And we have to give ourselves grace and we have to give our clients grace when it's needed. That That is so important, realizing that all of the stuff going on outside, is, that's yeah. outside your control, right? Look at to what you can influence. And it starts with, starts with giving yourself bucket loads of grace every single day yeah. and understanding for what's going on. Yeah. And and my employees are are wonderful, and they are with me through feast or famine. And if I need a day off, you know, I have them to come in and support me for that. But for the most part, I'm I'm you know running it all right now. You've mentioned it a couple of times, and, and I did want to talk about franchising with you because you have a background in franchising. It's something you focus on currently. So, what what is maybe explain your background in franchising a little bit more? Sure. So I've worked in the franchising and multi-unit operations for close to 20 years. Um, And I love it because a lot of times it's all about new business and it's about growth. So I'm probably a growth strategist through my other consulting business, which is called Echo Growth Strategies. 
Um, but I really helped shorten the learning curve and guide my clients through the franchise process by teaching them the best practices in franchising. And mm-hmm. coming from a strong operational background as a director of operational for a really large uh, franchise organization here in San Diego, actually, we're a holding company of several different brands. Um, <clears throat> I try to inject that operational perspective to help companies that want to enter the world of franchise gain a really strong foundation operationally, systematically, and also to come out with a fair offering, which is called the franchise disclosure document. So that's that's really how I've kind of niched that. I've also helped people looking to buy a franchise with a non-biased opinion about that, that franchise disclosure document, because they say we speak our own language in franchising. You speak franchising once you get into it. And it, it's it's not always easy to understand. So if I can come in and just kind of break it down for people, it really helps. Yeah. And I, I think one of those initial questions that come up about, um, you know, why would I start a franchise versus just another location or a new location in an area? Yeah. And, that, and that's a, that's a really good um, question. Um, that's a very short version is you don't want to franchise unless you already have two or three locations. Oh. Um, so they're both, they're both um, business models towards growth, right? So I think if you're, especially if we're talking to pet sitters and they want to grow and, you know, I could look at San Diego, we have 38 zip codes. So would I try to look at the demographics within each zip code and try to grow that way? Or am I going to look at a certain territory with maybe a 10 mile radius and I'm going to look at it that way? So I think the most important thing for anybody wanting to grow, and you can grow corporately while you're franchising. I want to make sure people know that. Just because you're franchising doesn't mean you can't have five or six of your own locations, no matter what they be. You can still do both. So, but you have to be really clear and concise about what those business entities look like and make sure that if you're growing into another territory or you want to align with somebody in another territory, that it's running as its own entity. Because that's going to tell you whether or not a franchise is going to work. Hmm. You have to have proof of concept for a franchise to work. I, I know another distinction that there is, is, is this franchising versus licensing. So what, what is that distinction? Yeah. So. Like I said, and there, there would be one other thing I would say about the franchise before we go on to that point is that um, franchising as a business model also allows entrepreneurs to grow with other like-minded entrepreneurs mm. uh, and investors. So you're growing with other people's capital. So that's a real attraction to franchising because you're able to scale that way. Okay. Um, you now, stepping back to the franchising versus licensing, I'm so glad you asked this because it's often confused. And I do have licensing clients as well as franchise clients. And I do need to disclaim, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. You know, I'm none of that. I'm an operational consultant and a growth strategist. Licensing and where the concern comes in is if franchising is highly regulated industry and legally. And Lots of times, if you have a license that really looks like a franchise, you can be deemed, especially in the state of California, as an inadvertent franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, So to have a franchise, you have three things going on. You have a strong brand, 
and a national trademark, you have detailed systems and processes, which is your secret sauce, usually in an operations manual. Um, and you still want to gain, keep a lot of the control over how somebody's going to run that business. Mm. Um, and you do that in exchange for your coaching and your support of the network and your marketing, all in exchange for the ongoing royalties and fees. Licensing really doesn't work that way. It's a lot less expensive, but licensing, you're virtually giving up control. So right away, if you're somebody that wants to know, like I would never license Slinky Cat because I want to know that everybody's doing cat care the Slinky Cat way. So licensing is already off the table for me. Mm-hmm. So licensing works if you have a train the trainer model. It might work for, you know, uh, trainers, dog trainers probably more than pet sitting, but it's not really going to work for pet sitters because you can vet them and you can still train them. You might give them a business in a box sort of thing at a different level, but then they're pretty, licensees are pretty much on their own and you might have a renewal or something in there. But again, it's, you need to talk to a franchise attorney to make sure your licensing agreement doesn't say franchise all over it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really think, I, yeah, that distinction of control, because I think of, you know, when I think of licensing, someone may license the name effectively to put it on yes. a billboard or to put it on a van, but they operationally, as you mentioned, like they're completely different and they're just using the name. But if you want more control, more um, repeatability of processes and procedures, it sounds like franchising yes. is really that that's that distinction. Franchising is the way to go. And it's, you know, it's, it's not cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap at all. Well, so, um, but it's the way to go. So on that, when we're talking about cheap, not cheap, like how, how much money, like what is that cost for franchising? So any good any good consultant or franchise attorney is going to tell you that you're going to need upwards of 250 grand in order to launch as a franchise. So, and I, I really caution on this one, especially, you know, as, as I've grown and I've helped different brands launch into the world of franchising, because you don't, you, any business, you don't want to come in underfunded, whether you're, whether you're trying to grow to a second location, your second location is more important than your first one. You got everything on the line. Mm. So you want to make sure that it's successful, but you can't come in underfunded. And I think, you know, pet sitting, we can come in on a pretty, pretty low initial investment to really start to get things going you still need to invest in the marketing and this in the systems and everything that you're doing is as you're growing Hmm. um but as a franchisor i think what people don't understand this is a whole separate business Hmm. so now you're gonna have xyz pet sitting llc and now you're gonna have xyz pets franchising llc or corporation it's a whole nother business so the thought that franchising is just going to bring reoccurring revenue through royalties is a huge misconception. Mm. Your learning curve to learn the world of franchising is going to be really steep and very costly because you're going to fall in love with attorneys. You're going to have HR attorneys. You're going to have trademark attorneys. You're going to have a business attorney for the corporation, not to be confused with the franchise attorney. You've got to have someone, you can't have a business attorney doing your franchise docs. It's just never going to work. It's <laughs> well, never going to work. <laughs> so that was my question about what that money goes towards. And it sounds like it goes to a lot of attorneys. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a highly regulated industry, and it's overseen by the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC. Mm. Um, I think one of the beauties of franchising, though, I don't want to scare people off in this either, but it's one of the only industries where a potential business owner can evaluate apples to apples, no matter what the business offering is or what industry it is. Hmm. So I could be looking at a yoga studio versus a doggy daycare, which actually are almost identical business models, but I could be looking at a franchise in either one of those spaces. And through the franchise disclosure document, which is the FDD, you can compare apples to apples on those two businesses. Hmm. So it's the FDD is comprised of like 23 exhibits or chapters that tell you who the people are behind the brand, who the executives are, if they've ever had any litigation, uh, how much your franchise fee is going to cost, what's the initial investment to open a location, an entity, of uh, a brick and mortar, whatever that might be, what the you know, requirements are between the parties, the obligations, what your training is going to look like. Um, It goes, what your territory is, it goes through everything. And it even includes a copy of your, basically your sale agreement, what you'd be signing in your franchise agreement, and a copy of the table contents of the operations manual, which is usually 350 to 500 pages, depending on the brand. And, And so that initial investment in franchising goes towards the formation of that, as well as your strategic analysis um, to get it to get it launched. Your operations manual, which could cost upwards of twenty grand alone, mm. and not to mention website, you know, PR, marketing, everything to get ready to sell franchises. Sounds like a, a lot of upfront work, right? Getting all your ducks in a row, getting everything lined up. So, if, if, yes. you know, if, if someone's interested in that, what are some of their first few steps that they should take to put themselves on the right path? Yeah, so I think they need to start looking at their flagship location as if it was a franchise. Hmm. So, how detailed are their systems? You know, when I helped the pet groomers launch into the world of franchising, they didn't have an operations manual. I went around their salon and I took pictures of sticky notes with their systems and processes were everywhere. (laughs) You know, I literally, we started from scratch. They had it all somewhere on their war board and their salon or whatnot. But you really need to start looking at it as, as how is this vehicle operating and Furthermore, how am I going to duplicate myself so that I can step away from this business to run the franchise business? And if I can't run the franchise business, I need to up my budget to hire either a fractional consultant or somebody in franchising to take those reins. Um, So, but it's running your business. You have to duplicate your business and you have to duplicate yourself. Uh, in order to franchise. So that's really going to come to, we do like a corporate readiness evaluation. And it's a questionnaire and we really look at who would be leading the ship. How is the division of responsibilities? Where are the gaps in my team? How would we offer support? You know, looking at if it's a space, franchising is going to, tell you, you know, what color are the baseboards, you know, <laughs> all, all, what are my, wow. the initial investment in office supplies. I mean, you're going to detail all of that because franchising, I can't say people are buying a business in a box in franchising. They're buying the right to hopefully duplicate somebody else's already successful business. Yeah. 
But the success or failure of a franchise is going to be highly dependent on the entrepreneurs coming in to run that location. And they're not reinventing the wheel. They're being they're paying a lot of money through franchise fees to be able to have all these systems offered to them. So you you need to have that dialed in. And there's there's a lot that people can do tomorrow to start preparing for it. Yeah, it sounds like just start writing things down that you do, right? Yeah. And and that you yeah. would want replicated. <laughs> exactly. And the best opportunity to do that is in a second location. Right. Because if you can shadow your own opening of a second location, you're taking note, how long did it take me to secure the lease? Mm. If it's a brick and mortar, you know, if it was uh, pet sitting, uh, you were going from San Diego County to Orange County, how long did it take to get the first client to ramp up the business? you know, to map the territories, um, you're looking at it from that sort of mindset. Um, and the other thing that you really need to know before you franchise is your numbers. Mm. And in franchising, it's not like buying a business. You're not going to give somebody your P&L. You're giving them an opportunity to have potential success doing business like you have. Mm. But you still need to know what's that going to look like. So if I walk into a grooming salon, I would say, so how many visits did you do last month? And, you know, and they'll tell me and then I'll say, okay, then I figure out what I think the average cost is of a groom is. And I know about how much money they're grossing a month. It can be as simple as that. But when you franchise, you really need to do financial projections towards the what a franchise could earn when their break-even is, what your key performance indicators are. You need to do that for a potential franchise, and then you need to also do it for the franchise or company. Giving some, just some idea of, because you're giving them your secret sauce, that operations manual, saying, if you implement this and you implement it well, this is what you should expect to see or you know, could yes. be coming on the back end. Yes, but I'm never going to promise you that. Yeah, exactly. Because no promises. End, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be highly dependent on your ability as a franchisee and your coachability. If you're not somebody that's coachable, likewise, if you're a franchisor that really wants to have excessive control, franchising is not for you. Because there's still some sort of autonomy between the parties, between the franchisor and the franchisee. You want them to be independent because they, the contract says that they're an independent business owner, mm-hmm. but yet you want them to be have some level of coachability to follow your procedures. It doesn't mean that if you have a franchisee who's a really good entrepreneur, he can't bring some best practices to help grow the whole network in franchising. That happens a lot. But if you can't you know, coach somebody right out of the gate for that and... It's going to be really hard in that relationship. Likewise, if you want to just pick up the phone and say, hey, you're not doing what I said you were supposed to do, you don't really have a lot of authority in franchising to have the conversation that way. What's the process look like to actually getting a franchise implemented? Yeah, so the whole process, I want to be clear, can take several months uh, just from the legality standpoint of formulating everything. But when you talk about the actual process, I like to go back and credit my good friend, Lonnie Helgerson. He wrote a book called Five Pennies. Um, it's the 10 rules to successfully build a franchise. It's a valuable book for anybody looking to enter the world of franchising. Uh, when he wrote it, five pennies was really the value of the royalty because it used to be 5% royalty. It's closer to six or 7% now, plus 
marketing fees and other things, but it's called Five Pennies. It's available, I'm sure, on Amazon. But he talks about the franchise uh, process being of four phases. The strategic planning where you're doing, you know, the budgeting and the financial projections, looking at your systems and your network and your support. Uh, Then it moves into the franchise formation, which is actually building the FDD and the legalities of what your franchise system is going to encompass, the fees, all of that. And then you're into the franchise launch and growth uh, phase where you're going to look at what is your strategy for growing? How do you want to grow? Where do you want to grow first? Uh, Your marketing dollars, PR, and then looking at development. Franchise development refers to sales. Are you going to sell yourself or are you going to bring in somebody else to sell? Um, And then the phase four is when you really made it is when you're onboarding and opening your first franchisee. And what does all of that look at? How are you going to hold your universities and plan to support a new franchisee through the entire onboarding process? Sounds like a really neat resource. I'll have a link to that in our show notes so people can go click right to that for sure. That's that sounds those those four steps are you know really sounds like um, this planning having these processes and then that exciting time of when you bring your first person on there's still there's still a lot of work to do after yes. that yes and the in the formation you're doing a lot of it in the formation because that's when you know you're really looking at the ops manual you and and the franchise operations manual is different than a standalone ops manual because there's so much legalese in franchising. So a lot of it's disclaimed in there, but the franchise operations manual is really the secret sauce of the business um, and the training and, you know, that goes along with that. And, you know, it's exciting. I I love being at the franchise universities and I'll never miss the franchise grand opening because it's such a milestone for everybody for the franchisor and the franchisee. So it's just, it's a positive experience. Are you a member of Pet Sitters International? PSI is the largest educational association for professional pet sitters and dog walkers with a mission to promote pet sitting excellence through education. After the tumultuous past year, having the support of a strong community and direct access to educational resources and business tools is more important than ever before as we rebuild our businesses in 2021. PSI is here to help with a free monthly member toolkit, monthly bonus resources, online trainings, private member group, and more combined with a group rate on insurance and background checks. PSI is our one-stop stop for everything you need for your pet sitting or dog walking business. As an educational association, PSI believes that if you know better, you'll do better and invites you to join thousands of other like-minded professionals who are committed to offering the best possible pet care services and elevating our industry. If that sounds like you, visit PetSit.com to learn more. Our listeners can save $15 off their first year membership by using the promo code PSC15 at checkout. What makes a good franchise? What what makes one successful? Yeah. So again, well-funded. <laughs> <laughs> clear, clear communicators. Um, not everybody's a Cinderella story in franchising like Massage Envy, Club Pilates. It doesn't happen overnight. So it's really the slow and steady is going to win the race in franchising. Mm-hmm. And you you need to be able to support that growth over time. So having a good strategic plan on how you're going to achieve that, um, be, being well-funded, 
um, being super supportive, having a really strong support network for the franchisees and investing in training. I think where a lot of people, franchisors, at least I coach, is the franchisors have a university. Like McDonald's has a hamburger university. So, (laughs) you know, basically you sign the franchise agreement. That's the most exciting day for somebody. They just paid 35 to 40, maybe 50 grand on a new business idea. That's such an exciting day for them. The day of greatest uncertainty is the next day when Mm -hmm. they're like, now what do I do? (laughs) So a good franchisor is going to have that plan nailed. Mm. They're going to have that pre-opening down. They're going to really invest in training to the extent that when you go to training as a franchisee, you're confident you're going to be able to go back and open your store tomorrow. Yeah. Or your business tomorrow. And I, I think that's where where it has to the relationship is so important. Consistent communication, consistent support, great tools, and all that comes from a well funded organization. Yeah. You can't you can't launch as a franchisor and be dependent on that 30, 40 grand coming in. That money is what you spend to get that location open. And the royalties are your revenue, but those aren't going to start coming until a few years down the line. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of personal onus if you're wanting to start this. Like, okay, like, what am, am I up for coaching? Am I up for giving this guidance? Am I up for p- providing this support? Because if yeah. you're not, it doesn't sound like it's a good fit. No, and if you're really busy running your own locations... You can't do it all. You just can't. Something's gonna gonna fall. And discipline systems breed freedom. So you're really looking at your team. Right. Who are your key employees that are going to support you in both of these entities? Your corporate flagship locations, and now this whole new entity that is franchising. Hmm. And you you have to franchising. The reason why they start a whole other corporation usually is because the initial deposit is audited on an annual basis or your books are audited on an annual basis by a CPA every time you have to renew your franchise disclosure document. So it's people will tend to just open a new entity. They'll fund it as they're going through the franchise disclosure approval process. Um, and it just makes it really clean because if you've had a pet sitting business for nine years and now you want to franchise it and they're going to want to go through all your books or, or, you know, better scenario, you have a brand that you want to sell things to your franchisees, uh, a grooming shampoo, something like that. Um, you know, you, you want to be able to make money on that in the franchise network. So you're going to have a corporate entity that ha- holds your flagship locations and everything else you have going on. And then you'll have the franchise entity that just basically receives income from franchise fees and royalties. To then go back and investing that back into running and operating and, and guiding and uh, training yeah. those, op- those, those yeah. locations. And it's not to say that you're not going to steal from Peter to pay Paul. If you have really successful corporate locations, they'll probably be funding the franchise at some point, you sure. know, but that's why, you know, a CPA is on that, is on that team as well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, who should be considering a franchise over a new location or something? So I would say a business that is already duplicating what they've done with great success. Um, so they have proof of concept. 
So if they're a pet sitter and they're running three regions that are like a standalone region, whatever you want to call them, territories are running as a standalone region, um, you know, they would be in a good position to start to evaluate a franchise offering. And in franchising, isn't just to take you nationally. You really want to have a strategic growth plan that kind of keeps you close to your area because you're, you kind of think of like a hub and spoke model where you can pull your resources, even between your corporate locations and your franchise locations, you should still have a centralized marketing that's supporting everything else going outwards. So you don't want to be in California and open your first pet sitting franchise in Chicago. It's not a market that you know, and yeah. well, now you can't even travel there. Well, maybe we can now, but you you know, there's some limitations there. Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, you need to have that proof of concept. And, yeah. and I learned this the tough way. It's actually a restaurant that I supported. I came in after they were starting to franchise eight years in a B location with year over year growth in a restaurant. They had longevity, a phenomenal brand. They had so much going for them, but we, and we were pulling in franchise sales leads from across the nation, internationally, people that owned multiple subways and other, other big franchise brands. And they couldn't see the proof of concept. Mm. And we knew in an A location, the numbers would have even been better. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they had to stop franchising just to open that second location and take a step back from it. So, you know, like I said, it's heavily regulated. It'll, there's 31 states that don't require registration of the FDD. There's 14 states that do. California is one of them. It's very difficult to get franchise approval in California. Um, New York is really tough. Washington state and DC, um, you know, some of those states will mandate that if you're not well-funded, that the initial franchise fee goes into an escrow account until the business is open. Wow. That's holding up all the capital that you need to get them open. Yeah. You know, so, you know, having a, a really strong franchise attorney that's well-connected in your state is hopefully in your state. I mean, there's a lot of them that work nationally. I have a great referral list if anybody needs it. Um, the, and they'll provide a consultation on the legalities of it. But um, yeah, it's highly regulated. You're renewing every year. Every, it's full disclosure, full disclosure. So your finances are ex, ex, disclosed. Any lawsuits are disclosed, all of that. It's a contractual relationship. Yeah, it sounds like something to enter in with, um, you know, open eyes and, and open, you know, ideas of the possibilities. If you already have that second, third, fourth location that you have repeated success at or you you've have your systems in place, it sounds like you really need to get those systems written down in place, that manual done, and then start looking around and going, yeah. okay, is this something I could hand off to somebody else and have them you know, implement this, uh, if they, and, and, and and take it somewhere else beyond that. Yeah. And, and I think people have to be really careful because we all have that person. Oh my God, I love what you do. I want to do what you do. Can I do what you do? Where you, where you do it basically, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and so you get this kind of interest and you think you come to the table thinking, Oh, I already have five people that want my business. But you know, one, one of the problems that I had initially when I pitched, um, my hotel idea to my husband was, where are we going to get that kind of money for the initial investment? Because I had done the initial investment just like I would for a franchise. 
So, you know, you're putting, you're considering initial investment in franchising is considering three months of operational expenses, all of the build out if it's a brick and mortar, um, all of the training, insurance, every fee that you could imagine for initial purchases is included in there. So mm. it's, you're going aggressive on it. You, you hope to open it for less, but again, you know, you don't want to come in underfunded. <laughs> Yeah, be well funded, have a good plan sounds like two best things that you could do <laughs> do to get on the good path. Yeah, and and I think the people that come up and show interest um aren't fully understanding all that you've invested. Because yeah. you could say, "Oh yeah, I started this business for under, you know, 10 grand, 20 grand." But now you've been running it for nine years. Your investment's been a lot more than that over time. And you've had a commitment to marketing and that's why there's so many ways when I coach businesses that don't want a franchise, so many ways to get it to run like a franchise. So you know that every month you're going to dedicate 3% of your gross revenues towards marketing. And then this is your marketing plan. So there's there's so much planning and detail that goes into it, but that's how it can operate in other locations with the same sort of consistency that people look for in a franchise like McDonald's um, (laughs) subway, you know, you know, the, the look and feel every time you go into a franchise location, even our doggy daycares that are national, you know, exactly what you're going to see when you go in there and the end, what you're going to expect in terms of customer service. This has been a fascinating conversation, Carmen. I have loved hearing all (laughs) about the world of franchising and breaking down some of these misconceptions and some notions that people may have and, and to see if it could possibly be a good fit for them and and to hear how Slinky Cat is is panning out and the wonderful world of getting to work with your daughter and pass something on to her for for the future. I know we've covered I know we've covered so much uh in so little time so there's a whole lot more uh so um how can people get connected and follow along with everything that you've got going on? Yeah, so I so appreciate the opportunity, Colin. Thank you so much. And I know that I put a lot out there. So I want to make it easy for anybody to reach out to me regarding uh, franchising or cats. So simply text franchise to 619-865-9476. And I'll shoot you my Echo Growth Strategies website. And anybody that would like to have a franchise conversation and mentions they heard it on the podcast, I'll give them a 20-minute consultation to kind of figure out where they're at and what some good next steps might be. Um, If you want to talk cats and operations in general, then uh, just text meow to 619-865-9476. I love that. I love that so much. Uh, thank you for that. And I'll, we'll put links to those numbers in the show notes and on our website so people can click right on those and, and get connected with you. So Carmen, this has been a real joy, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I sure appreciate it. Take care. We all want growth and security in our business, and that's going to look different for everybody. So determining if you should franchise depends on how you want to run your business ultimately. How much control do you want? What do you want your days to be spent doing? Carmen did a great job of breaking down not just the financial and the legal obligations that you have if you go down the path of franchising, but also the importance of coaching, of mentoring, of selling the franchise and being still involved in the business and willing to put in that work and help others realize their potential in running that side of the business as well. 
If you've ever thought about franchising or going into a franchise operation with somebody else, we'd love to hear from you and what your experience has been. You can email us at feedback at petsitterconfessional.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, all over the place at Pet Sitter Confessional. And we'd love it if you could call us. That way we could play that voicemail on the show. You can call us at 636-364-8260. Still had to look that up because I don't have it memorized yet. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International for making today's show possible. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll be back again on Monday. Monday.